Good morning again, and Happy New Year. There we go. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, you can talk back a little if you'd like this morning. That's, that's a good thing. Uh, it's 2022, and I hope you're excited about this new year. I know that there's a lot in store for us. I know the Lord has a lot for us this year. And if you're thinking about how do I get myself on track, you know, what are, what are some things I can do? There's, there's several things that we're doing as a church that I want to make sure you know about. Uh, first, if you weren't with us last week, Pastor Carlos challenged our church to hide God's word in our heart over the course of this year. And we handed out some cards. We have those cards outside today. You can get a digital copy via email this week. But either way, get one of those cards. And those cards have a verse for every week of the year. So you can memorize one verse every week of the year. So you spend all seven days. Let's do this. Can you do it? All right. So that's 52 verses. And uh, so you can start working on Genesis 1-1 this week. Um, the second thing is we're going to have 21 days of prayer. As we get started this year, we want uh, our church to just focus on prayer together, to seek the Lord together. And we're going to have a guide. We're going to have some prayer times here. You'll hear all about this next Sunday, and it will begin the following Monday, so a week from tomorrow. Uh, and then the third thing is, if you're not connected to a group, uh, a class, if you're not in some sort of community with our church, that's so important, so vital in your walk with the Lord. And we want to invite you to do that as well. So uh, if you'll see opportunities for that over the coming weeks, and so be on the lookout for that. Okay. We're going to be in Revelation 21. No better way to start the year than to start it in God's word. Some people really perk up when they hear Revelation. Oh, that's cool. We're going to read Revelation. So Revelation 21, that will be our main text this morning, verses 1 through 5. You can find that in, in your Bible. And let me start with this question. Do you ever wish you were somewhere else? I mean, that's an easy question. We all, we all find ourselves from time to time being at a place where we wish we were somewhere else. We're in a meeting that's going way too long. We're like, I wish I was somewhere else, right? You're, maybe you just, these past few weeks, you had some kind of Christmas holiday party going on and you were wishing you were not at that party. You just didn't want to go to it. You were wishing you were somewhere else. I know a few um, Michigan fans in Miami who might have wished they were somewhere else this weekend. Go dogs! Uh, um, sorry, Daniel. Um, I saw you over there. But, I, and I'm hoping that, that no one here this morning is wishing they were somewhere else. I hope, I hope you're glad you're here with us. But I think about this question because for me personally, this can become a problem. Every now and then, especially, I don't know, it's like cold and rainy. I start wishing I was at the beach. I don't know if, if there's anybody else who loves the beach. You like, you know, like at certain times, there's just like, man, I wish I was at the beach right now. That just sounds so much better than where I'm at right now. I was watching TV and this commercial came on and there's these people dancing on the beach and, and it's for like a cruise line, I think. And the next thing I know, I'm like Googling, how much does a cruise cost? <laughs> so that's how it works for me. I don't know about you. I think probably all of us have some like, escape that we're thinking of, some place or maybe a person that we're with. 
I think we were watching that TV commercial, or I, I saw that commercial pop on in the middle of us having three weeks of quarantine in our house due to COVID, where like all five of our kids got it, and you know it goes through the whole household, and 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 so you know three weeks of being in the house, you really start thinking about wishing you were somewhere else. Okay, do you hear what I'm saying? I, I wasn't desperate, I promise. Um, we were okay. We we all survived, and praise the Lord. But that can be a desire we have in our heart. And I don't, I don't want to say it's a bad desire. But I do want to push into it a little bit as we think about this subject of heaven this morning. Because it's possible that sometimes when we have these longings, these desires, that there's something deeper going on. I really believe that. In fact, it was a quote from C.S. Lewis that really got me thinking about this. It's in his final chapter of the book, The Problem of Pain, where C.S. Lewis is reflecting on this idea, and here's what he says. There have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our hearts we have ever desired anything else. Think about that. Maybe some of the desires in our heart aren't so random. Maybe they are pointing us to something deeper like heaven. And I hope that you are saying, okay, Joel, I'm tracking with you a little bit. I'm, I'm holding out that possibility. But here's what I find interesting. When it comes to heaven, it's not a subject that we give a lot of thought to. Sometimes not more than a passing thought. Now, maybe... I'm totally wrong, probably for some of the older saints in the room, you, you're thinking about heaven more and more. It's becoming more real and more real. When I talk to my grandparents, that's a fact for them. Maybe you've walked through the loss of a loved one in these recent days and heaven's been more on your mind. But we're often going through life so fast, day after day, that we're not thinking about eternity. We're not thinking about this next life. And so we have these desires and longings happening in our heart, but then it's not something we necessarily dwell on, or not necessarily something we draw over to say, hmm, this could be about heaven. And it's not that we don't believe in heaven. This is really interesting. I, I'd seen this a couple years ago when the research came out, but basically if you look at the surveys of people, three out of four people, three out of four people will say, I believe in heaven, 72% will say, I believe in heaven. That's not just church people, that's everybody. They'll say, yeah, I believe there's a heaven. So, so here's the tension point for me. We can feel these longings and desires in our heart for heaven, and most people believe in heaven, but yet we don't often want to think about it or dwell on it. And it's not that I think we don't want to. Here's my theory. I think it's that we don't really have a good understanding of it that we don't really know what heaven is all about. We've never taken time to look into it, if you will. From my observation, the enemy isn't trying to get people to stop believing in the existence of heaven, but rather to get people to believe that heaven is something far less than what we would hope for. But I think it's critical that we have a right understanding of heaven. 
a lot of people think of heaven and they think, oh, it's this big church service that goes on and on forever and ever. Christian author John Eldridge in his book, The Journey of Desire, says nearly every Christian I have spoke with has some idea that eternity is an unending church service. We've settled on an image of the never-ending sing-along in the sky, one great hymn after another, forever and ever, amen, and our heart sinks. Forever and ever? That's it? That's the good news? And then we sigh and we feel guilty that we're not more spiritual. We lose heart and we turn once more to the present to find what life we can. The question I want you to think about this morning is, does heaven impact you right now? Does heaven impact you in the here and now? And if not, could it be what John Eldridge says there? Could it be that we just don't have a right understanding of heaven? I, personal story for me, um, this is, I'm almost into 20 years of ministry, and I had just started in ministry. Somebody handed me a book somehow, or somehow I got my hands on a copy of a book whose title was Heaven. It's a book by Randy Alcorn. It's kind of thick. But I started reading that book, and I started going through page by page, all the way through it. And I will say it's a book that's probably top five for me in the impact it had on my life at, at just the right moment. Because I couldn't believe how uninformed I was on the subject of heaven. I couldn't believe how little thought I had given it. I couldn't believe how much it started to change me as I dwelled on heaven. I mean, in the Bible, it, it says, Colossians 3.2, it says, set your mind on things above and not on earthly things. We're commanded to do that. We're commanded to think about heaven. And yet, I was, it was not something that I would normally think about. And so I hope today we'll do just that. We'll think about heaven. We'll dwell on heaven. And, and I hope that you'll start to get at least a better view of heaven than what you've had before. We'll look at Revelation 21. We've got a lot of other texts that we're going to go through. And I want to give you five important truths about heaven that we'll see in our text today. Look with me in Revelation 21, verse 1. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city... New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write these things down, for they are trustworthy and true. Okay, let's start with this first thought. Number one, heaven is a real, tangible, physical place. So again, when you think about heaven, the normal thinking about heaven is Clouds, sky, fat baby angels, things like this. That's how, and it's not even a joke, like seriously, like you could, you'll see it portrayed in media over and over again with people just floating in the clouds. 
But when you look at the scripture, it gives you a totally different view of what heaven is. When John speaks about heaven, just in these few verses, one of the main things that sticks out is he says there's a city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You have heaven and earth coming together. There's a city. And when you think about a city, this is going to be a theme that, that threads throughout my talk today. When you think about a city, it's not unfamiliar to what you would already know. When you think of city, you think of all the things that go with a city. You think of uh, people, buildings, commerce. You think of amusement. You think of development. You think of all the things that you would think of in a city. Well, why not think of those things in heaven? This city, Jerusalem, is the largest part of heaven. Uh, and when you look at all the scripture uh, from the Old Testament to the New, you'll see this theme of the city. And a lot of people have in their minds, we're going to return to the Garden of Eden. Well, the Bible doesn't describe that. It is a garden-like experience in the city, but it's not a garden, it's a city. In John 14, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's about to die, and here's what he says to them in John 14. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So look at the words. Uh, go back to that, that verse again. Look at the words that Jesus specifically uses there. In my Father's house are many rooms. Uh, if it were not so, I, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place. These are physical, tangible, real things. We're not floating in the sky in heaven. So heaven is a real, physical place. Number two, the point of heaven is that God will be with his people. If you look again at those, that verse in John chapter 14, a lot of times we, we go back to that verse and we think, we think about the mansions. We think about how God is building these rooms. And, I mean, hey, that's amazing. That's cool. That's, that's fantastic. But when you look at John 14, what comforted the disciples and what should comfort us is this fact that Jesus said, if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. We get to be with God in heaven. That's the point of heaven, that we get to be with the one we love, as we just sang. And here's the crazy thing. Even though there are times, many, many times, where we would not have sought him out, he continually seeks us out. Even when we don't want to see him, he's, he says, no, 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 here's what's best for you, for you to be in my presence and to know me. And ultimately, we know in our hearts when we get to those, there's just certain times we get to that place where we know there's nothing better. There's nothing better than to be in his presence. So the point of heaven is that God is with his people. This is uh, explained in verse 3 of Revelation 21. He says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
we will be with God. If you haven't ever picked this up, this is the storyline of the entire Bible. I love sharing this with people. I love pointing out this because it, it was not something I was always aware of. If you go back to Genesis, all the way at the beginning, the point for Adam and Eve in their life was for them to, to be fruitful and to multiply, for God to set them on this playground of earth and to do great things. And in the middle of that, he said, he's with them. He's walking with them. But you know the story. You know how they sinned. They took of the fruit. They're dismissed from the garden. And they're not only dismissed from the garden, but they're dismissed from the presence of God. But God's not done with his people. He chooses Abraham and Sarah, and he says, I'm going to make a great nation of you. And he, he makes them into a great people. They, they're fruitful and they multiply. And this, this, these descendants of Abraham turn into the nation of Israel. If you track with their story, they end up enslaved in Egypt. And in Egypt, God comes and he rescues them. He brings them out of slavery. But listen to this. When he brings them out of slavery, he does so not just to deliver them from that slavery, but to be with them, to dwell with them. Because he, as soon as they're out of Egypt, he says, build a tabernacle for me. And the reason for building this tabernacle is that he, so when, when they actually build it, what happens? When you read the story, God comes and he sets himself down in fire over the people dwelling right there in their midst. I mean, how crazy would that have been? God wanted to be with his people. They eventually uh, move the tabernacle all around and then they build a temple but eventually they drive God away. And they drive God away and he's still not done with them. Fast forward through these years of silence in the Old Testament and then the intertestamental period into the New Testament. And there's a little baby that shows up at the temple. Some have called him Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus comes and he's there to be with his people. God wants to dwell with us. And eventually Jesus says to his disciples, listen, it's going to be better if I go away. What? Why is it better? Jesus says, because I'm going to send you my Holy Spirit. And the Spirit's going to come and dwell in you. And that's what happens in Acts. God's Spirit dwells in the people. And his people, just like he dwells in us now, we have the Holy Spirit with us because God wants to be with us. That's the story of the whole Bible. And then we get to Revelation 21. And here's where it's all set right. Because not only do we have the experience of God with us right now in the Holy Spirit, but we get to see him face to face. We get to see him. You know, the Bible tells us that you cannot see God and live. You cannot, God says in Exodus 33, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light whom no one has ever seen or can see. We can't see God and live, but in heaven, free from sin, we will see God. And that it's there where the psalmist says, in your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So when you think about these longings and desires that we have from time to time, like, you know, I was talking about at the beginning, when I was talking about there, there's moments where we want to maybe escape behind some of those desires. I really believe are deeper longings, like C.S. Lewis points out, for heaven. And not just to be in a place, but to be with a person. 
to be with Jesus. Number three, the Bible shows us that there are two heavens. Okay, this is where a lot of people get confused and they're like, okay, that blows my mind. What do you mean there's two heavens? Now, I'm not talking about two simultaneous heavens. There's two heavens because John says, Revelation 21.3, he says, or 1, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. So that means that there's an old heaven. That means that right now, the heaven that is current will one day pass away and there'll be a new heaven. So there's, there's, there's two heavens. There's the current one, it's temporary, and then there's a permanent new heaven that will come. So just a few things to think about in heaven right now. Uh, we have a few passages that, that give us information about that. I want to take you to one in, in, in Revelation chapter 6. So, so turn or move your device over or whatever to Revelation 6 so you can read that passage with me. Here's the truth. If you know Jesus, if you've believed in Jesus, and he has saved you from your sins, then you, when you die... You are in heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. If you think about Jesus on the cross with the thief who uh, talks to him, he says, today you will be with me in paradise. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul knows that if he departs, he will be with Christ. So when you pass away, if you know Jesus, you will be with Jesus in heaven. Revelation 6, let's, let's read there, verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. So here are these people who have been martyred for their faith, and John is seeing them. This is before the new heaven. This is in the, the, the current heaven right now. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. Then they, will, then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So few implications from this passage. I want to take you through these quickly. First, you see John sees souls of those who have been slain. They're souls. They're not resurrection bodies yet. That's coming. I'll get to that in a second. They're souls. But yet they have some kind of bodily form because they're given white robes. So in some way he sees them. In some way they can wear a robe. I, I don't, we don't know much beyond that, but there's these people. They're in heaven. Second, in this present heaven, you see some, some idea of time. The people say, how long to God? They're longing for the justice of God. Third, they're crying out with a loud voice. There's great emotion. They're not like just in some blissful state. They're aware of some of the things that are going on, and they're crying out to God. This is before Revelation 21 where we're told every tear is wiped away. There, there's, there's a lot happening in them. Fourth, people in heaven are remembered for, their, for, for who they are on earth. Your identity is preserved into heaven. And to illustrate that a little more, you can go to the story in Luke 16. I'll just, I'll just sum it up for you. In Luke 16, Jesus tells a story. And some people might say it's a parable, but, but a lot of scholars believe it's a, it's a true story. In Luke 16, it's, it's about a man named Lazarus who's, who's poor and a rich man. Rich man doesn't have a name, 
but the poor man does. And that's where scholars say, you know, we think this is a true story because in no other parable does Jesus actually use the name of someone. We think Jesus is actually giving you a present reality of what heaven looks like when he tells this uh, story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man lives his life lavishly. And then there's Lazarus who has nothing, who's eating the scraps of the table. It's this very vivid picture of him with these sores and there's dogs licking these sores. And when they're in heaven, well, Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in Hades. The rich man says, look, why, why can't I go up to you? And Abraham says, you can't. There's, there's this chasm here that you cannot cross, neither us nor you. And he says, let me just read one part of it. Verse 25 of Luke 16, Abraham says, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he was comforted and you are in agony. He's saying, who you are in this life, who you were in that life and your life on earth mattered to who you will be in the next life. Now, I, th I know this is a commonly held belief for many of us in this room, but it's not always understood that all the things you do and who you are and your experiences, they, they build into our life in heaven. That's what the Bible clearly teaches. Okay, so there's a heaven right now, and there's all these things going on. I, could, I know, there's a way more I could say there. But let me get to this next point that leads us to my fourth point, that heaven, our final home, this final heaven, in John, and I'm sorry, in Revelation 21, this heaven is where heaven is earth and earth is heaven. When John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, what I think he's describing there is this merging of heaven and earth together. He's saying, God is going to do this new work to redeem this earth and make it heaven. And heaven's going to be earth and earth's going to be heaven. That's what is happening in Revelation 21. He says there's going to be the city there. Hebrews 11 describes a similar scene. It talks about a city. It talks about how heaven is a country. All the things that we might think of when we think of a city or a country... Those things are things we should think about when we think about heaven. And not only will our surroundings not be completely foreign, but we're told that we will have resurrection bodies. In 1 Corinthians 15.40, it tells us that there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. One goes away and then one is given to us new. So we have these earthly bodies that will be put away and will be given heavenly bodies. Again, there's a lot more passages we could go into that I don't have time for, but we'll, we'll be in familiar settings. We will have bodies in this final new heaven. So it will be, in many ways, like our experience, but with some 
very important things not being there, which we'll get to at the end. Finally, heaven will display the fullness and the power of God's redemptive plan. God's plan for redemption is laid out throughout the scripture. We see it from the beginning in Genesis 3 when when he makes a promise for one who will come and, and crush the serpent. This promised one is the Messiah, it's Jesus. And we know that Jesus will come and he will, well he has come, that Jesus came to redeem us, to save his people from their sins. But this plan of redemption goes well beyond just the forgiveness of our sins. God's plan of redemption encompasses all of creation, all of what we know. Isaiah 65, Isaiah 66, 2 Peter 3.13, they all speak of this idea of of God creating new heavens and a new earth, that that God is redeeming all things. Uh, If you go into the Gospel of Luke, you have a story there where uh, Jesus, again, this is the story I, I kind of alluded to earlier. Jesus is a little baby. He comes to the temple with his parents to be dedicated. And when he's there in the temple, a woman approaches them. Her name is Anna. She's worshiping day and night in the temple, and she's in her 80s. She's been praying and waiting, and when she sees Jesus, she knows this is it. And she sees Jesus, and she cries out. She says she gives thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, this is a a verse we would kind of like fly by and not really think about, but when she sees the Messiah, there's one thing on her mind, the redemption of Jerusalem, the redemption of her city. It's not just the redeeming of her people, it's the redeeming of this place. God redeems all things. In Matthew 19, 27 through 28, Jesus says this, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. At the renewal of all things. God's coming to redeem all things. Okay, so what does this mean for us? First, I hope it means to you and to me that we have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to look forward to. It means that there will be a day when all things are made as they should be. Everything, all of creation... And that one day we'll see Jesus face to face. One day we will be in his presence. One day we will, we will know him and be fully known. If you go back to the creation story, go back to Adam and Eve and their story. If you go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve took of the fruit in the garden, God came And he gave them a curse. He curses the serpent. And then he curses the man and the woman. And this curse involves both pain and sorrow and thorns and thistles. And this curse is felt every day by all of us. Right? We we think about it like constantly. Why is this so hard? Why is this so difficult? Why is none of this working the way it should? 
why is it so painful? Why does it hurt so much? That's the curse at work. And when you go to Revelation 22, you see these words. Verse 3 of Revelation 22. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I mean, how incredible is that? Can you think of a day, can you imagine a world where there's no pain and sorrow and no thorns and thistles? And to have all that wiped away, to have all of that reversed, One day God will lift that curse. But listen, it comes at a terrible price. Galatians 3.13, the scripture tells us that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In Deuteronomy, it says that anyone who hangs on a tree is cursed. When Jesus went to the cross, to that tree, and hung on that cross, he was cursed. According to the scripture, he became a curse. But that's the beauty of the upside down nature of the Bible that, that as a curse, he lifted the curse. That in death, we get life. Jesus paid the ultimate price by taking our sins on himself on that cross. He became a curse for us. So that one day, the curse may be fully lifted. That's the good news of the Bible. That's, that's what all the Bible is moving us toward. That's what all of history is moving us toward. This day, when we will see God face to face, we will be with him in his presence and, and not unfamiliar surroundings and not something we wouldn't not enjoy, not out there in the clouds floating. We're in this place with God. We're with our friends and our family who have trusted in Christ were with our family, the church. We see him face to face and all things have been made right. Imagine a world where, where there's no pain and sorrow. There's no thorns and thistles. Imagine a world where, where we're given to be with God and we don't have any of these things that hold us back. And every tear has been wiped away. Now, I want you to know that we can't talk about heaven without also talking about hell. Just as heaven is a real place, the Bible tells us that hell is a real place. In Matthew 25, I want you to read these words with me. I'll put it on the screen, or you can flip to it. Matthew 25, Jesus is saying these words. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But then in verse 41 he says, He will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place of separation 
and death. You know, I, I mentioned the story earlier in Luke 16 about the rich man. Why isn't he ever given a name? I think it's because in hell there's nothing as personal as a name that's a part of your story anymore. It's gone. It's removed in that sense. But the good news is what I've been telling you, that Jesus became a curse for us, that, that he took our sins on himself. He died the death we should have died. If you believe in Jesus, you can receive the gift of heaven, the gift of being with him forever, the gift of knowing that those desires you have in your heart, those things that prop up from day to day where you just know you're made for something more, for something different, those are real desires. God has those in your heart, and they can only be fulfilled in him. If you believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, he'll give you the gift of heaven. He'll, he'll give you the gift of dwelling with him. He, he will come and live in you through his spirit. And, he, and the gift of heaven starts here and now, right? We're a part of his kingdom here and now. We, we get to experience Everything we need for life and godliness. He gives that to us. And one day, that's going to be so, so much better. And I hope that as you think about heaven, as, as, as those thoughts come up, that it's not you saying, oh, I don't know what to think. I don't know what. I hope that maybe, you know, I've whet your appetite a little bit to, to look a little deeper, to think a little more about heaven. C.S. Lewis, I'll, I'll return to another quote from him. I think this is very helpful for those of you who know Christ, who follow Jesus. He says, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most in the present world were those who thought the most of the next. May heaven be on our minds. May we set our minds on heavenly things and not on earthly things in this year of 2022. Let's pray. Lord, may these truths of your word become a reality in our heart. As we sing now and think even more about heaven, may you, may you do something there in our hearts that, that's beyond anything we can manufacture. We need you, God, to come and, and realign our hearts and our desires and, and, and let us see what those things are truly for, how you made us to be. We thank you for the gift of heaven. We thank you, Jesus, for your death on the cross. We thank you that, that you offer us a way to heaven. I pray for those here this morning who, who are ready to call on your name for salvation so that they can be given the gift of heaven. Lord, would you help them this morning to take that step to call out to you, to follow you. Lord, thank you again that you've given us the promise that we will be with you. So we sing about that now, Lord. Again, would you allow these truths to, to, to come home in our lives? In your name we pray, amen.